0: Listen, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. Let me give you a statistic that might be interesting to some of you that like interesting statistics. I read the other day, after some research that was done, that says there are close to 3,300 names of Bible characters that are listed in the Scriptures. 3,300 names. Now, I could even give you a further breakdown, but I'm not going to do that just because of time. But let me say this, out of those 3,300 names, every one of them had a not only a name, but they had a face and they had a story. Would you agree with me? Just like you. I was uh, also doing some other research and found this, that during the time of Jesus, they'll say, historians will tell us that there was around 150 to 200 million people, give or take just a couple. And it took to the year 1,352 for that number to double to 300 million. About the size of the population, again, give or take about 70 million, 77 million. They say we have around 376, 77 million people living in the United States today. It took another 300-plus years for that number to double to 600 million by the year 1700. And by 1900, they said the population rose to 1.6 billion people. And by 1950, the population rose to 2.4 billion people. And by 1985, we were at 5 billion people. They tell us now we're at 7.7, 7.8. And by the year 2024, we will be around 8 billion people. Did some further research to find out since I have been born, the population of the world has more than doubled. None of your business when I was born. (laughs) And out of the, yeah, a long time ago. But out of the 7.7 billion, 7.8 billion people that are in the world today, Two-fifths of the world's population is within two countries. 1.4 billion people live in China. Another 1.4 billion people live in India, where we have some work going on. Following a distant second is the United States with about 377, 388 or 78 million people. So two-fifths of the world's population is in those two countries. India itself is just a little bit more than the third the size of the United States. You think about that one. So let me ask this question. Why Why is this important? What's so significant, Ashley, about the numbers of people living in the world today? Well, I guess it depends on who you're talking to, what set of lens you're looking from. Because if you're looking or talking to a corporate business person, they're probably thinking about sales and the next business move and dollar signs. If you talk to an environmentalist, the only thing they probably want to talk about is global warming, pollution, and world resources. If you're talking to a person that's employed by the CDC, health care, vaccinations, and the spread of disease. If you talk to a politician, he's probably thinking about power and influence and position. But this is what I know that out of those 7.7, 7.8 billion people that live in the world today, every one of them not only has a face, they have a name, but there is a God that created it all. And people matter to God. And if they matter to God, they should matter to us. I spent some time not long ago with a guy who was in prison. And uh, in our conversation, this is what he said to me. He said, You can tell whether or not you matter when you're in a place like this. It's a pretty interesting conversation. When we uh, talk about people matter, how much do they matter to you? I mean, do you just scratch the back of the person that scratches your back? Or do you really love people? It's easy for us to assemble in a place like this and say, man, man, listen, we love people, but do you really love people? If we were to follow you 24-7 throughout the rest of the week, how would your actions demonstrate that people really matter? We're going to talk about some core values specifically today, the core value of people matter. But before we do that, I want to just remind you of a conversation that we've been having in reference to a disciple. Because if we talk about a disciple, a follower of Christ, there's a lot of characteristics that we can pull from, from the scriptures that would talk to us or lead, lead us to a, a, a definition of what a disciple of Christ looks like. But if we were to really skinny it down and we were to take one passage of scripture, there's one passage in the scripture that we've, that we've sort of come upon that, that sort of gives us A concise definition of what a disciple looks like. And that's in Matthew chapter 4 verse 19. It says, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And inside of that passage, there are three qualities or characteristics of a Christ follower. We've said, number one, come follow me. There was an invitation. A disciple is someone who's received the invitation. They've accepted the invitation to follow Jesus. Have you accepted that invitation to follow Christ? Come, follow me, and I will make you. A disciple is one who's being made into the likeness of Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not something that you do on your own, but it's through the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of you. Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Not only have you accepted the invitation, not only are you being changed into the likeness of Christ, but you're also committed to the mission of Christ, which includes, by the way, understanding the significance that people matter. Because when we're committed to the mission of Christ, we're going about the things that Christ himself taught us that we ought to go about. And when heritage was planted years ago, one of the things that we said is, listen, we didn't want to do church as normal, but we wanted to be about creating environments where people were living out a legacy of faith. And three things that were really important to us, growing, sharing, and serving. You wonder why we're doing a men's retreat? Not just to have an event, because we want, but it's because we want men to be able to grow up spiritually. We want to create an environment where men can come together and they can grow spiritually. Every man in this room that's possible for you to attend ought to be signing up to participate in that. You want to know why we've got a women's opportunity? It's, it's so that we want women to be able to grow up spiritually. You know why we're having youth camp this summer and children's camp this summer? It's because we want to provide environments for our children and our youth to be able to grow up in their faith. And not just be good churchgoers, but we want them to grow up in their own faith. We also said that as a part of Heritage, we want to share life together. Man, this is a family. This isn't just a place that we come in and out, but we want to know each other. We want to know each other's stories, not just the names of people, but we want to know their stories and love people for who they are, not what they do for us. And then also serve, to be able to understand that God has gifted us with talents and abilities and to be able to use those talents and abilities to not only serve the body, but to serve other people. So we started out talking about, first of all, intimacy with God. And the question that we asked up front was, do you know, more, do you know the Lord today more intimately you did yesterday. We went back to a passage of scripture where Jesus was talking about prayer and we said, listen, man, if you want to get to know the Lord more intimately, spend some time in the closet. Go in the closet and shut the door. And what we said was that every one of us, every one of us need to have a specific time, a specific place and be consistent and regular in this time with the Lord. Because when you do that, the Bible says, Jesus said, listen, you'll be rewarded. Last week, Melvin came up and he talked to us about the core value of family. And we asked this question, you know, after God, is our family our highest priority? And he challenged us in the area of being supportive of one another and living out our purpose as families to disciple and to train up our children in the ways of the Lord. And today, we want to look at that core value, people matter. And the question that up front that I want to be able to ask you is this. How do you treat the people within your sphere of influence? How do you treat the people within your sphere of influence? In other words, how do you treat other people that you come in contact with? Now, to sort of give us an opportunity to evaluate and review, we want, we've, every week we've sort of given you some questions, and we've done the same thing today. So I, I want to be able to ask you some questions, and look, don't be cheating off of somebody else that's next to you. Don't look at the other person next to you and and hit them with an elbow and say, you know that's not true. This is for you. This is a time of evaluation. I'm just asking you that you be honest. Zero, one, two, three, or four. Zero being never, four being most of the time. And we've said, listen, there is no all of the time out there because we're not consistently all the time with anything. So anyway, let me give you some questions today. Here's the first question. Are you ready? Everybody say yes. 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 Question number one, be honest. Be honest. Those closest to me would say that my life is a reflection of meeting the needs of others without expecting anything in return. I'm watching some of you. Just want to see, see what the expression is on your face. I'm also watching to see what you, because I, I can see, I can tell what you're writing down on your paper just by looking at you. Those closest to me that say my life is a reflection of meeting the needs of others without expecting anything in return. Number two, the way I treat others is in alignment with godly principles and show that they matter. Write down a number zero, one, two, three, or four. Number three, I practice love even when people are difficult to love. <laughs> Let me look. Let me find somebody that's difficult to love. No, bro, you easy, man. You easy. Now, look, let me, I, we, got to, we got to do this. This is like one of those questions that you just got to be honest. Okay, now, like how many of you guys put four on this? Y'all not like Jesus? How many of you guys put three? Any tours in the room? Y'all are scared to put three and you're scared to put one, right? Now we're going to get down to the. Let's, all right, here we go. How many oneers in the room? Any ones? We got any zeros? (laughs) Oh my goodness. All right, here we go. Number four, I esteem others more highly than I do myself in a healthy way. I esteem others more highly than I do myself in a healthy way. Number five, I see loving my neighbor as anyone that I come in contact with. Number six, even though difficult, I will speak the truth in love when necessary in order to help someone. That's a hard one. Some of us want to speak something into somebody's life regardless if we help them or not, right? We just want to tell them what we think, even if it is telling them off. Let me me give you something that's not in your notes today, and I, I think this is Healthy. We've talked about this before. I, don't, I didn't come up with this. I found this someplace years ago. But let me give this to you. You can write this down. This is not in your notes. not going to be on the board. But I think this is helpful, especially right here at this place. Love without truth. Love without truth is meaningless. Love without truth is meaningless. Truth without love is meanness. Truth without love is meanness. Truth in love is meaningful. Did you get that? Love without truth is meaningless. Truth without love is meanness. Truth in love is meaningful. Now, I want you to look at your scores for a second, and I want you to write those down. I want you to calculate your scores and just... Ask yourselves, you know, I mean, because honestly, as we walk through these core values, these core values are not only important to us as a church, but they're also, I think, they give us a picture of what it looks like to be a growing disciple of Christ. Because our interaction with people is very important. As a matter of fact, you want to talk about growing in your relationship with the Lord? I mean, it's easy to just get along with yourself. I guess it is sometimes. But you add another person to the mix, it can get pretty rough. Somebody says, well, man, I'm, me and Jesus, we're tight. Add another person to that just for a second. Let you live together for a while, you know, and interact with one another. Yeah, we'll see. So are you a babe in Christ in this area? Do you, do you, do you test out to be a childlike follower? Are you a growing masi- a disciple or are you a maturing disciple maker? I will bet you that most of us in this room have some room to grow in this area. I mean, because I do. And if I do, I know you do, right? No. Because some of you are really good at this, even better than than I am. See, this is one of those core values that we want to find a loop with. See, it's okay. People matter and I love so-and-so, but you know there's... You got one of those people in your life? If you're a disciple of Christ, you're seeking to follow God's Word. How we view and treat others will be impacted and with that being said we want to go over to the book of Luke and we want to pick up a story here in in Luke chapter 10 out of the out of the in the New Testament there are four books that we say are the gospels Matthew Mark Luke and John and each one of them tell a story about the life and the ministry of Jesus we're going to be in the book of of Luke today so I want to make sure that you turn there. we'll start out in verse 25 but let me just start off by saying this if you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you read the stories and you read the interactions, this is what you'll find. Jesus finds himself many times in a difficult position with religious leaders. They were often, often very often, at odds with him. And one of the stress factors in the relationship between the religious leaders and Jesus was not only theological, but it was also related to how Jesus treated other people how he had compassion on people that they didn't view very highly at all. And what we're going to see in Luke is he writes the gospel. He, does, he gives a lot of attention to bringing about some of these people that Jesus valued that were not valued within that day and time by that culture. And so you'll see Luke making special emphasis towards some of the people that Jesus interacted with, like women or children or tax collectors, sinners, shepherds, Samaritans, um, it would have been people that they would have considered to be outcast or, or to have been insignificant. And so over and over time we see in the gospel writings Jesus loving and befriending these people, and as a result of that, man, there were some tensions that took place. I mean, how can you do this? How can you hang out with this type of person? And so what we understand is that Jesus valued people regardless of their ethnicity, regardless of their socioeconomic uh, background, their past or present actions—they're good or bad—and and as a result of that, there was this growing, growing antagonism and hatred toward Jesus as he walked along this journey towards the cross. Okay, you ever had somebody look down on you because of the way you treated somebody else? Because you treated somebody um, like Jesus would have us treat them, and somebody looked at you and said, "Well, man, why would you do that for them?" You ever had anybody say anything? Why, why would you forgive them? Why would you befriend them? Why would you spend time with them? Well, this is some of the things that Jesus was facing. And so here we're going to pick up an encounter that Jesus has with a religious expert. And let's look at that dialogue that takes place and the questions that were asked and what Jesus had to say. So here we are in Luke chapter 10. And listen to me, we're going to get through this. And some of there are going to be some spots you're going to like going, okay, man, this is, can you hurry up? But I'm telling you everything that I'm going to tell you today because there's something at the end that I want you to hear. And I bet you, I bet you that if you're listening to the Spirit of the Lord today, He's going to speak something into you that's going to be significant. Vince, it's here. I promise you, there's something in God's Word today that's going to be impactful to you. Don, listen, there's something in God's Word that's going to be impactful to you. Manny, there's something today in God's Word that's going to be impactful to you. I know it is because God's Word, it never returns void. It always speaks to the hearts of where we are. And so let's start out by reading and seeing what God's Word has to say to us today. And so here we are in verse 25 in Luke chapter 10, and this is what we read. One day, an expert in the religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. And look at what he asked. Would you say this with me? Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? So here it is, Jesus is in this interaction, this time, and there's a question that's posed by an expert in the religious law, and he asks the question, teacher, what must I what? What must I do to inherit eternal life? So here is a conversation to begin with, with a religious expert. Some would have said a lawyer or a scribe, and before printing presses were ever a thing, here was a person that had the job of the responsibility of making copies of the Scripture by hand. And unlike most of the people that lived during that day and time, these were educated people. They They could read, they could write, and because of their exposure to Scripture, not only had they become familiar with the Old Testament writings, but also they had learned the interpretations and how to ap- apply them. And because of the knowledge, because of the training, because of the position, these were guys that had tremendous amounts of influence. So so why the question? Was this guy trying to catch Jesus off guard? Maybe. I don't really know. Only the Lord knows the condition and the motivations of our heart. But what I do know is that this guy that we're in a conversation, that's in a conversation with Jesus, I do know that he wanted to prove something. You ever wanted to prove something to somebody in the midst of a conversation? You know, you have a, let me just have a conversation. But the reason you're having that conversation is because you want to prove to them something. And what he wanted to prove to him was that he was a righteous man. Because of his knowledge, because of his efforts, because of his works, they were all sufficient and he was justified and right before God. It'd be like somebody coming up to you and saying, or the question being asked, well, are are you a disciple of Christ? And you respond by going, well, yeah, I go to church. Yeah, man, I tithe. Yeah, I'm involved in a missional community. Yes, I I serve. I use my, uh, my gifts and my talents to serve. I mean, I don't drink. I don't smoke. I don't cuss. I don't chew. And I don't hang out with people who do. That's not what gets us to heaven, folks. That's not how we inherit eternal life. So here's this religious expert asking Jesus a question, but Jesus didn't answer the question, did he? But he asked another question. Jesus, in turn, asked his own question. And Jesus said to him, well, you tell me, what what does the law of of Moses say? How do you read it? You're the expert. And Jesus didn't ask the question. He did not answer the question because he didn't know the answer. But maybe what Jesus was trying to do was to get him to evaluate what he believes and uncover some flaws within his thoughts and his belief system. And so here's Jesus responding to the question with a question. What do you think the scriptures say? I mean, you know them. So how do you read it? You're the expert in the law. And the expert is going to answer him by going back to prove his value and his worth He's going to try to justify himself by going back to the scriptures. And and he's going to bring us back to a passage out of Deuteronomy chapter 6 and out of Leviticus chapter 19. And look at what he says to Jesus. As I would have to think, well, I know the answer to that question. The man answered in verse 27, You must love the Lord God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and in all your mind. Oh, yeah, by, by the way, there's that other one. Love your neighbor as yourself. What was the question? What must I do to inherit eternal life? What is it that I need to do to inherit eternal life was the original question. And the man answers his own question by saying, listen, you inherit the kingdom of God, eternal life by loving God and loving other people. That's how you do it. Now, if we go back and we look at the scriptures, we'll find that Jesus himself utilized these passages of scriptures. We go back to Matthew and we go back to the book of Mark. There was a time when Jesus was asked a question and he was asked a question and he responded to love the Lord God with all your heart, your soul, your mind and strength and love your neighbor. But it wasn't in the context of salvation. It wasn't in the context of eternal life, but it was in the context of what? What is the greatest commandment? What's the greatest commandment? And in that case, Jesus didn't respond with a question, Will you tell me? Jesus answered very clearly to love the Lord God with all your heart and your soul, your strength, and to and to love your neighbor as yourself. And it would seem within that encounter, the religious expert was saying something along this line. Jesus, we got to have some help here, bro. We we're struggling. I mean, we got all these laws, these sacrificial laws, these tithes, these offerings, these these in reference to how we should treat slaves and, and sacrifices and I mean the feast and the festivals and the celebrations and the dietary laws and what's clean and what's not clean, what to do, what not to do. Jesus, you gotta help us out. You gotta help us out. And Jesus, okay, I help you out. Love God. Love people. Love God and love people. But when Jesus was speaking here, it was in reference to idolatry. Because we have a, the, the opportunity to put so many things before the Lord. And what did he say? Love the Lord God with all your heart and with all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. He didn't reference that in, in, in reference to eternal life. But he said, listen, you want to talk about the commandments and you want to break them down? Let me give you a breakdown for you. Love God, love people. Simple. And if you'll focus on those things, I promise you, all that other stuff will take care of itself. But in the story today, the religious expert wasn't asking what the most important commandment was, but what he was asking was, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus never said the way to inherit eternal life was by loving God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, and your neighbor as yourself. But what he did say is that they were the most important commandments. Now think about this for a second. To love the Lord God with all my heart, all my soul, all my strength. And to love my neighbor as myself. With that being a prerequisite for eternal life, we're all doomed to hell in this place. Think about it. Men, we're all in trouble. I mean, because how do we live up to those expectations? So, how would Jesus respond to this answer that this religious expert had given him? By the way, if you don't think Jesus had a sense of humor, boy, you fix it to see it right here. Look at what he says. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jesus told him, You do that and you'll live. Do that and you'll live. Jesus is saying it like saying, man, great job. If you think that's how you gain eternal life, why don't you just try it? Impossible. Nowhere in the Bible do we read that the Scripture teaches us that we can be reconciled or justify ourselves by our actions. Nowhere. And without going into great detail, one of the minor themes that we see running through the book of Luke is this, is reference to Self-justification. And if you've grown up going to church, maybe you've heard the word justification or the doctrine or the teaching of justification before. That word doctrine means instruction. It means especially as it applies to lifestyle application. In other words, a doctrine or teaching flows from a specific authoritative source. For Islam, it would be the Quran. For Scientologists, it would be the writings of Hubbard. For Mormonism, it would be the Bible in addition to the Book of Mormon and other sources. But for Christianity, there is only one source of authority Sola Scriptura. The Scriptures alone, that is our source. That is our source of instruction. The Scripture alone is the authoritative word of our faith for the faith and practice of us as believers. You know, the Bible is complete, we don't need anything else. It was in the scriptures that we read where Paul said, man, listen, man, God's word tells you what's right, what's not right, how to get right, and how to stay right. That's what it does. You want to simplify it? There it is. That's what God's word does. That's why it's so important to spend time in it. And the doctrine of justification is that God is the one who justifies us and makes us right. And we get that teaching from God's word. And that justification by faith is what separates biblical Christianity from every other belief system. Because it's by faith that we're saved through faith, not of works. There's not anything we can do with it. It's only from the Lord. In Romans chapter 4 verse 25, here he was. It says he was handed over to die because of our sins. And Paul goes on to say, and he was raised to life to make us right with God. A little bit later in in Romans chapter 5 verse 1, Paul again says, Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God Because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Now, if we were to define faith, forsaking all, I trust, I can't get my fingers up. Trust Him. I mean, look at your finger. You don't want to write on your hands. Some of you need maybe to write on your hands. F A I T H, forsaking all, I trust Him. If you want an easy way to remember what is faith, I mean, because you use that word a lot, probably inside of your, just your, Your conversation, especially with religious people, we like to use the word faith, but how many times do we exercise it? Forsaking all, I will trust Him. And in Galatians chapter 2 verse 16, yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Christ Jesus, not by obeying the law, And and we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we've obeyed the law. For no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. We aren't made right, we aren't justified by our works, but because of what Christ Jesus did on the cross when he became the Lamb of God, the sacrifice for our sins once and for all. It was done. And because of our faith and our trust in Christ alone, we can be declared not guilty. Not because of our works. Our debt that we owe because of our sin was paid in full. So what's the opposite of justification? Being justified through faith because of what Christ did. I'll tell you what the opposite of justification is. It's self-justification. Self-justification is that we seek to justify ourselves through works and efforts. Man, hold on to this. And so it's really important that this religious expert, he's trying to justify himself. And look at what he asks next. Verse 29, the man wanted to justify his actions. He's a religious guy. I mean, he... Outwardly, he's got everything going on. He's doing everything that everybody thinks he should be doing. He wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, Well, Jesus, who's my neighbor? Boy, it's fixing to get rough. Was he serious about eternal life? I don't know. Did he just want to prove that he was good enough because of his actions? I don't know. But I do know the story that Jesus tells. And some people will say that this is one of the most famous parables of all that Jesus would teach. I can't document that. But I want you to read this parable with me today. And let's see what Jesus speaks into your heart. So Jesus replied with a story. Every time you read a character, every time we read a different character, I'd love for you to circle that. So a Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho. What kind of man? There's a Jewish man who would probably have known the law. He might have been at, he might have been coming from temple worship, I really don't know, but he, the bio, what, what Jesus tells, he's telling the story. Here's the details. There's a Jewish man, and he's leaving Jerusalem, and he's on his way down to Jericho, and on his way down was really. That is a very accurate statement because we'll see, if you look at any topography maps, you'll know that Jerusalem sits at about 2,500 feet above sea level. Jer- uh, Jericho is about 800 feet below sea level. It's about 17, 18 miles from Jerusalem to Jericho. And it's on that path, that rocky road down, probably winding. I mean, it's not like you get on Interstate 4 or 75 or 301 or four. 41 or 27, no, path of least resistance. So he's traveling down this road, and the Jewish man he goes on to say that he was, he was attacked by who? Bandits. But they just didn't attack him. It says they stripped him of his clothes, they beat him up, and they left him for half-dead beside the road. Now, I had a similar situation Um, that I'm familiar with that happened to a friend of mine in college. He had stopped to help somebody on the side of the road in a very dark area. And when he went to help change this person's tire, somebody whacked him in the back of the head with a tire iron, left him for dead on the side of the road. So here you got this instance of a Jewish man going from Jerusalem down to Jericho. There's two bandits. They attack him. He was attacked by bandits. They stripped him. They beat him they left him for half dead beside the road and oh by the way he's in great shape because there's a priest that comes along but when he saw the man lying there he crossed to the other side of the road and he passed by him there's a lot we could say here but if there was anybody you would have thought that would stop it would be it would be pastor Brian right didn't stop. What did he do? (laughs) Kept going. Why did he keep going? I don't know. Why, Why the story? Maybe he had lots of reasons. Okay. Maybe the guy didn't want to stop because he knew that there were bandits in that area. He knew that if he stopped, they might get him too. Maybe he didn't want to stop because he had some things planned with his wife at home, and he knew that if he stopped, he would, he would mess up some things that he'd already messed up in the past. She told me, I better get home. I better get home because I didn't went home when I was supposed to be home the other day. So I've got to get home now. So that's a really good excuse, by the way. Maybe he just didn't want to be bothered. For whatever the case, though, he passed by to the other side, and he kept going. And then Jesus goes on with the story, and he, tells us, he adds to it. He says, listen, a temple assistant... This is a Levite. This has one, been one who would have helped out inside of the temple. He had temple responsibilities. This is another religious guy. And look what he did. He walked over. He looked at him lying there, but he also passed by to the other side. So you got two guys that you thought might would stop and help this guy. I mean, by the way, he's Jewish. Hang with me. He's like one of them. It's like seeing somebody from Heritage on the outside or another believer that you know and you see them and you just ignore them and you walk on by and you think and you assume that they would have stopped to help because of their positions, because they were religious, but they saw the situation and they did not help. They avoided the opportunity. You know it's easy to judge them though, isn't it? easy to judge them. You, some of you might go, I can't believe they would do something like that. My kids have called me out before. Dad, aren't you going to stop to help? Aren't you going to stop to help? You ever seen a need, but you didn't want to be bothered? When you saw the need, did you start coming up with all the excuses in your mind of what? The reasons Why? It's easy to look the other way, isn't it? Then Jesus adds another character to the story. Then a, a what? A despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion on him. So you've got... This guy, this Jewish guy, by the way, coming down from Jerusalem to Jericho. On the way, he's attacked by bandits. They rob him. They strip him. They uh, they uh, they leave him there for dead on the side of the road. But oh, by the way, here we go. He's fixing to be saved because there's a priest that comes along. But he ignores him. Well, there's a second chance because a Levite comes and he ignores him. Then a Samaritan forget that he's not going to stop. I mean, by the way, don't you know about Samaritans? Don't you know the way that Samaritans are viewed within this culture? Don't you know how, how terrible of people they are? They're traitors. They're half-breeds. They're corrupt. They had intermarried with pagans after the exile. And man, listen, you avoid them at any cost. And yet look how the Samaritan would end up responding to the situation. He goes over to him. The Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put, on, put the man on his donkey, which would have meant that now the Samaritan didn't ride any longer. Now he's walking, I would assume. He took him to the inn where he took care of him. The next day he ended the Oh, here's another character, by the way, the innkeeper. The innkeeper would be the one gaining the profits for his efforts. Two silver coins he gave him, telling him, listen, take care of the man. If the bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. So you got the Samaritan that not only saves the man's life, he bandages up his wounds, but he takes him to the end. He pays the expense as well as the other debt that might be incurred. You want to talk about putting yourself out there. He went the distance. So Jesus tells a story, and he tells the story as a setup to his own question. And look at what Jesus asked. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by the bandits? You ever had somebody ask you a question that you did not want to answer? Sometimes I aggravate Meredith and I have to apologize. Maybe I'm Sorry. And she'll say to me, for what? That's not something I want to answer. I mean, I apologize. Isn't that enough? But here it is, for what? Unfair question. See, when she asked me that, I know what for. I just don't necessarily want to say it. And here it is, Jesus asking a question that's going to expose the cracks in his theology, but more expose the condition of his heart. <laughs> See, people matter. People matter. To the expert in the religious law that Jesus was involved in this congregation in this, in this conversation with, the scribe, the one he was talking to, to them, the Jewish man was that was beat up was a topic to talk about. To the bandits, the wounded man was a person to take advantage of. To the priest and the Levite, the religious people, the wounded man was a problem to avoid. To the innkeeper, the wounded man was a prophet to be made, a customer to serve. But to the Samaritan, the wounded man was a human being worthy of being loved and cared for. And did we say, and I think we have, to care for somebody that if the roles were reversed would not care for them. Yet the guy that was despised is the one who would stop and help and cover his debt when he knew that it would not be returned. And yet Jesus, including us, Died for us all. I want to say this no matter how educated, how talented, how rich, how cool you believe you are, how we treat others will ultimately, ultimately indicate the condition of our heart. How are you treating people within your sphere of influence? How are you trying to justify your efforts? Wayne, just because we go out of the way to serve other people doesn't necessarily mean our hearts are right. Maybe what we're trying to do is justify ourselves. doesn't work that way. When you love people the way Jesus loved people, it's the overflow. And sometimes you need to set boundaries and say, no, not right now. For the person that's trying to justify, out of the overflow, we see people as Jesus saw them. So who's your neighbor? I'll tell you who your neighbor is. Your neighbor is anybody that's in close proximity to you. Regardless of color, ethnicity, social background, whatever it may be. How are you treating them? At Heritage, we desire to to say that people matter regardless because people matter to God. And if they matter to God, they need to matter to us. I want to pray with you. But before I pray with you, I want to ask you a question. I know we're late. That's all right. We're going to have to be late for just a couple minutes. Before I pray with you, what, what what have you heard? What have you heard? That's a question. What have you heard? People matter? That's what that's, that's what we wanted to say. People matter. Love God? The way we treat other people comes from the heart. Love's not conditional. conditional. I also wanted you to hear today we can't justify our actions. We can't justify ourselves. Only Jesus can do that through the cross. And if you're working to try to save yourself, you need to give up. It's a road that leads to nowhere because you can't be good enough to save yourself. And God knew that. And that's why he sent his son Jesus to die on a cross. And if you don't have a relationship with him, man, you are missing out. Even right there where you are, before we ever dismiss out of this place today, you have the opportunity to cry out to God and say, man, Jesus, I have messed it up. But I recognize today that not only am I a sinner, but I recognize the power that came through your death on the cross and I want to receive you as my Lord and Savior. Will you save me today? That's the beginning beginning steps of a relationship with Jesus. For those of us that are believers and followers of Christ, to examine our lives and to say, how are we treating those within our sphere of influence? I want to pray with you and then I want to speak to you just for a second as a family. Father, would you the words of, of your of the scriptures, may they speak very loudly, very clearly to us of how we should respond to people. That in those times when we are looking for the loopholes because people are difficult to get along with, remind us of our sinfulness and how separated we are from you. Teach us to love unconditionally. And as we walk through that time, may we be reminded of your unconditional love for us. May we take this story that that Jesus himself tells and may we apply it to our lives and to see where does it all fit in. For the person here today that doesn't have a relationship with Jesus, even today may it be the day that they cry out to you and say, Jesus, I wanna follow you. May we be a people that as we walk out these doors, we're your ambassadors, not perfect, but broken, but being changed into the likeness of Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. Remind us that in those times of tensions that we will face, that the Holy Spirit speaks to us to instruct us of how to respond. May we just be willing vessels. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.